You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where it's game day. I'm your host, Justin Emlesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show, except anything I say about Mac Jones. Anything I say about Mac Jones, you can repeat in perpetuity. I'm, of course, being over the top. Uh, I'm excited. A little bit of football talk to, to start the show. Uh, gonna have to get this because there's no bill. Uh, there's no Belichick your premises right now, right? Looking to restart that again in the future. I'm too busy right now. But it's the first week of the NFL season, the regular season. The Patriots have a, a new starting quarterback I can be excited about in Mac Jones. There's no more Cam Newton. So I haven't been this excited about an NFL season in or an NFL game in over a year. In over a year. So I'm excited to see what the Patriots do today, how Mac Jones adjust to regular season NFL football and hopefully this is the start of of another great great run for the team you know I'm not expecting a lot to start right we're not already gonna have you know another Brady-esque run but even Brady's first season we have to remember what he played like I have to remember what Brady played like I think the Patriots will have a lot of defensive first run first football with Mac Jones making smart plays and not turning the ball over, I expect a lot of similar play to the Patriots' first Super Bowl season. I'm not saying I expect a Super Bowl. I'm saying that's the style of team I expect. Now I'm going to bring in a Lions fan who probably isn't as excited for the season. <laughs> Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, from Michigan, William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah, uh, uh, football started for me uh, yesterday. Uh, it's still not, I guess you would say, regular season play, but uh, Michigan played Washington, uh, which was, of course, a blowout for Michigan. But uh, yeah, next week, I have to wait till next week, I think, uh, before any sort of real games start. But uh, yeah, the Lions... Well, as a Michigan fan, yesterday was good for you because yeah, Ohio good. State lost. Uh, Ohio State did lose. I didn't even see the game. My sister told me. Because uh, I wasn't even paying attention to, to it. I, I didn't even know to really watch and pay attention to uh, Ohio State yesterday. So I didn't get to f- experience it firsthand. So I'm going to have to watch the highlights later this morning. Yeah, uh, it benefited Clemson as well for Ohio State to lose. So technically, football started last year for me. But there's, William, I've always thought there's a big difference in the quality of the play between the NFL and college football with basketball with basketball. There's more skill in the NBA, but sometimes it can be more fun to watch college basketball, but with football, it's just, it's completely different for the pros. Yeah. They play on such a different level. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's always a warm up for, uh, uh, you know, college game day is always a warm up for the NFL day, uh, games. So it's going to be exciting Sunday. Um, if I stay awake for it, I mean, we're recording very early today, and thankfully we have a few folks listening live, so it's afraid too early we would uh, we would not attract our normal uh, listeners. 
Well, that's that's because you're on West Coast time. It's really early for you. That is something I'm readjusting to here. When I was on the West Coast, games would be at 10 a.m. So oh, now the man. first slate of games is 1 p.m. And then the Patriots game is at 425 today. So that's that's going to be interesting. I'm going to have to get some stuff done this morning. But that's also why we're recording this morning, right? Yep, absolutely. And I'm looking right, forward to... You got anything to, else? Yeah, as I say, I'm looking forward. I'll be in San Diego this week. Uh, so, I mean, San Diego listeners, uh, hit me up. Um, I'm, I'm going to be there for uh, some training uh, until Thursday, but then I'm just going to chill out and um, and see some uh, see some friends that I haven't seen in a while. So, I'm very excited to uh, to check out San Diego again. I you know I lived there for like a year and a half. I loved uh, uh, made a lot of good friends and and loved the area down there. So, I'm really looking forward to it. All right, well, we'll see if your training is related to any of the the new mandates that have come out this past week in Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. Just like really sucked. Are we just complaining? I hope that this mic goes on. Because I'm on the road here. I hope that you're making some sense. I hope that you throw up your hands and sing it and tell all the haters that they should just shut up and As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so on Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We accept any and all support, including affirmations. That's themidside.com slash Patreon or themidside.com slash Locals. So, William, at a certain point, we made a little bit of a change with this show. And we made a little bit of a change, at least I tried to where we're not really talking about politics. We're talking about, you know, the the current cultural climate and how that affects our lives. But through this whole pandemic, through this whole COVID thing, that's been very, very difficult to do. And it got really difficult this week. So I did not watch Biden's speech, but I had people messaging me about it. What about you, William? Did you watch the speech? I didn't. I didn't watch the speech, but... uh... Yeah, it's definitely been the topic of conversation. I had uh, some friends over to a couple uh, friends of mine, and it definitely was a topic of conversation. Um, people are not pleased, I would say, with this uh, um, vaccine mandate. Um, and don't really like how it's coming about. And that's I'm certain, certainly something that we can get into. But, uh, you know little show prep for the show i was looking around well how are how are other you know countries handling this well france isn't handling it very well um they're i guess it's been a few protests like like they're getting out the uh the uh tear gas and and uh um uh fire hoses out in france uh protesting vaccine passports which is uh, a, a different way of mandating vaccines but uh one that people are doing and uh, we've sort of abandoned uh, abandoned any pretense of approaching this with uh, responsibility, and uh, and it, I, it's uh, funny because uh, Dave Rubin um, was banned from Twitter for a short while for pointing out that this was coming, and there's been other people that have uh, been banned from various platforms for pointing out this is coming, and and now we're here. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me, and like you said, we can get into a second the, the the mandate, but it's interesting to me the rhetoric being used here because that's mainly what people 
talk to me about. I mean, my dad called me about this speech and he's like, did you see what Biden just said? I was like, no. He's like, basically, he's saying that the unvaccinated people are killing children. Yeah. And and William, when did this become about children? Because when we look at the death rate and we look at the long lasting conditions and we look at, you know, what the symptoms kids get, it's nothing. It's not bad. I mean, I literally had a kid tell me the other day that he was out with COVID and I was like, oh, well, how are you now? How are your lungs? He's like, oh, I'm fine. All I had was a a runny nose and a headache. But people bugged me so much and told me I had COVID that I had to go get a test. That's what we're counting as COVID. And that's what we're counting as. Now, this kid's over 12, right? He was like 16. But that's what we're counting as protecting the children from. We have to do all yeah. this. We're using the rhetoric of protecting the children from headaches and runny noses and coughs. Well, and and we we've, we've talked about interpersonal hostility before. Uh, we're we're really we're really hammering home this other people the the other is the threat, right? No 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 taking responsibility yourself, or something that is a natural condition, right? Just like anything else. And I want to talk about that. I have a whole thing to say about that. But first, do you have anything you want to say about how this mandate's being gone about? Because I know you said you were, that was interesting to you. Yeah, this whole administrative law thing we've talked about a little bit on the show. Yes. uh, You know, coming through administrative law rather than an actual law, right? Um, You know, Congress has been slowly ceding its power to the executive branch for a while now. And, um, and there's just no, there's been no end to it. There's been no check on it. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is it, rather than make the rules, uh, Congress will stand up a administrative body and then say they're going to make the rules. And, oh, by the way, we'll, we'll have oversight, quote unquote, which never means anything. They just keep approving things. So, well, the only oversight is the Supreme Court at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So now we're going to use OSHA, uh, an administrative body that sets uh, capricious rules about workplace safety. And we're going to use that uh, to enforce and basically use, use uh, companies as the Gestapo. I mean, this, we've talked about, you know, that Trump was the fascist president, but now we actually have fascism, right? We're, We're implementing government policy through presumably private entities by force and threat of, uh, of, um, violence against the business. So, and that's of course not excusing Trump. That's the whole problem is when you vote for these executives and you put them in power, wanting them to use their power to make change. All you're doing is setting up for this. You can't have what's going on with Biden now without the country voting for Trump and supporting him with the way he was acting. Yeah. It's, it wasn't even considered that, uh, you, at least in in the past, the the just there was a justification, there was lip service about why these things didn't go through Congress at the state and federal level. Uh, the the different um, control mechanisms for presumably COVID safety and 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 those sort of things, right? Like the lockdowns were executive orders by by governors and. You know, they, they they presumably said, oh, well, we, you know, it's too, we need to do it in an emergency, so we'll use our emergency powers. We won't go through the state houses and, and senates and assemblies and stuff like that. 
But this time around, there's no even lip service, right, Justin? It's just like, no, we're just doing this. And, you know, what, Congress has no say. Well, I think that, William, it's it's the combination of what we've mentioned with the executive orders and all of those things with the speed of communication and the speed of the logistics system, essentially. You can do things a lot quicker, right? Because essentially what this is, this goes back to the, the rent moratorium. It's the idea that, oh, we know this is unconstitutional, but it will take so long for the courts to strike this down that we can have it be legal for a period of time. And so what they're trying to do here is say, we're going to make this legal for a certain period of time, which will increase the vaccination rate, because by the time it gets struck down, X amount of people, you know, we this says this affects 100 million. So we'll yeah. say 50 of those 100 will have gotten vaccinated because they were forced to. Because yeah. it's a lot easier for OSHA to go now, oh, you have to do this, click of a button, and it goes everywhere. And it's a lot easier to put the systems into place. Whereas 50 to 100 years ago, if OSHA made a decree, and was OSHA around 100 years ago? You get the point I'm making. But I don't know. I've lost the track of time now. Time is going so fast for me. That's true. But, but the point I'm making is, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, it was a lot harder for them to say, do this and for it to happen the rollout would take very very long yeah so now the rollout of all these things is very quick whereas the legal battle is not as quick and they figured that out and they're using that to try and create laws when we never did that before which as you said that's taking power away from congress and giving it to the executive branch so now we really only have two branches of government Mm -hmm. the executive branch and the judicial branch yeah, and Justin, I I, I know you you uh, you know you said your dad latched onto the uh, we're doing this for the children. Uh, my friends latched yes. onto the we're doing this for the businessmen because businesses want to do this. They want to have uh, to force their workers to be vaccinated. And uh, I was just scratching my head. Um, you know, it's uh, who's asking for this, right? Um, apparently, this is supposed to help me as a business owner uh, get more people vaccinated by charging me, what is it, $14,000 a day in fines if I don't do this? Or a week? I don't remember if it's a week or a day. Uh, and then all the logistics of like, now I don't have an, uh, 100 employees, so I don't have to worry about actually doing it right now. I mean, I don't have 100 employees yet, right? Maybe someday I will. But having weekly testing and... Uh, and and or forcing folks to get vaccinated um what does that really help me how does this new administrative thing i have to do help me as a business owner either short term or long term and why would i you know we've talked about it before with people it's the same with businesses forcing someone to do it versus them choosing to do it like i'm not being given reasons why to do this right i'm just being told that this is the this is you know the reasons don't matter you must do this you must comply well, William, that's the perfect transition back to the inner hostility point, inner personal hostility point. Because here's the thing. Businessmen do not want this a priori. They do not want this just in general or as their natural state. They are agnostic towards this. They will do what is best for the business when it needs to be. Are, are, is this the best thing now? Do they want this now? Well, yes, you just talked about all the disincentives 
the government is giving business owners uh, if people aren't not vaccinated at their company. So now they want it. Now they want it. But there's also an assumption baked into their statement of, oh, this benefits the business owners because it benefits them if interpersonal hostility exists. And what I mean by that is interpersonal hostility, not as psychological, but as biological. And that's what they're doing here. We have to really break this down, William. And this was my reaction, right? This was my reaction to what I heard about the speech. I read about the speech. This was my reaction. We have to break this down to the fundamentals of government. Government's only purpose, it's only real role, the value it offers, right? Because we have to think of in life, what are the value we offer other people? What are the, the values they offer us? Well, the only role government offers is to mediate, right? The idea that if two people are in a fight, we need an impartial person to come in. Think of like a police officer. That's what a government offers. Oh, we'll come in as the objective party and separate and stop this fight. Same thing when there's a contract incident. Oh, you two signed a contract? Let us take a look at it because you two cannot decide what, who's right. What way to follow, what the way to follow this contract is. So we'll come in and we'll be the impartial mediator. We recognize in life that that is one of the great challenges is how, if there is no government, how does that happen? Do you then hire a third party who says, oh, my job is to be impartial? Well, that's tough because then there's a bunch of third party companies who act as impartial and then they can be bought off and sold. But you know, the problem is the government can be bought off and sold. But that's 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 jumping ahead here. That's jumping ahead. The important thing here is that is government's role. The value they offer us is as the impartial arbiter. They say we get to mediate things. We get to mediate when somebody else is infringing on your natural rights, your natural freedom. But then people have figured out how to push through this idea of interpersonal hostility, William. It started, do you remember, William, the term implicit bias? Do you remember that term when I pointed that out on the show? Yeah, yeah. Years ago, Hillary Clinton, before she was even going to run, started talking about implicit bias. That set the stage or was part of social justice. The idea of you can't control having interpersonal hostility towards other people. It's just something that's implicit and unchecked in you. Even though... You can be in control of your sense of life. You can be in control of how you see other people in the world, right? You just have to do the work, put in the work, do the philosophical work, go to therapy, do the work, and you can change those things. Now, I'm not saying there's everything you can change about yourself, but that's when we get into the discussion of at what point is someone a serial killer and need to be locked away and how do we deal with them? Those are questions of justice. Those aren't questions of what most people are capable of. Those are outliers, right? When we look at a Ted Bundy, that's an outlier, right? But she started pushing that through. Well, and then it's one of the drums I've been beating over this pandemic, William, is the idea that coronavirus and the way we're handling it is implicit bias on the biological level. It's the idea that you can't help hurting other people. You can't help hurting them. When you walk outside, you are necessarily putting other people in danger. When you interact with other people, you are necessarily putting them in the danger because you can never know if you're sick or not. Ultimately, what that really would have to be is you're going to have to constantly be monitored 
all day, every day to make sure you're sick or you're infected. And the second you're sick or you're infected, like I'm thinking sci-fi now, William, has there ever been a show sort of, uh, you know, those tubes that the bank uses, what are those called? <laughs> the vacuum tubes, like in Futurama. The vacuum tubes. Like there's a chip. Imagine if there's a chip in you and it monitors you all day. And the second you get infected with a virus or something, one of those tubes appears and sucks you up and puts you back into your cage. Like that, that that's the level that we would have to get to, to live by this principle, this idea of we are a threat to everybody else. And what this is really doing, the, the intention is not to protect other people. And that's what people need to realize. The intention is not to protect other people. The intention is to grow the need for government. Because if you are always potentially threatening other people or being threatened by other people, the power of the mediator increases. You need the mediator more. You need the mediator to tell you when you're in danger and when you're not. Because you can't tell yourself. With implicit bias... You can't tell if you're being biased. You, somebody else needs to tell you if you're being biased or not. With the infection, with the virus, you can't tell if you're sick. Somebody else needs to tell if you're sick. Don't you think it's interesting from this angle to consider why we started with temperature checks? We didn't get to be told whether we could come in a building or not. Somebody else had to tell us whether we could come in a building or not. Because they had to check us because we didn't know if we were sick or not or not. Even though temperature checks did nothing in reality, they didn't prove anything about the virus. The reason they started right away is because it was like, oh, this is something we can do to tell you whether you're sick or not, because you wouldn't know that. They're basically scanning you to see if you're a threat or not. And that makes it extra scary that it was in the form of temperature guns. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but think about that for a second. They were literally holding a gun to your head to see if you were a threat. That's pretty terrifying. And ultimately, when we're talking about the government doing this, what they are doing is destroying the difference between negative and positive rights. And this country, William, and natural rights and freedom are built on the idea of negative rights. So here's a quote from libertarian.org that explains, I think, pretty succinctly what positive and negative rights are. Positive rights require others to provide you with either a good or a service. A negative right, on the other hand, only requires others to abstain from interfering with your actions. So think of this in the case of masks or vaccines. The positive right here is others are required to wear a mask or get a vaccine to protect you. That is a positive right. Oh, you have a right for others to be vaccinated and masked. Whereas a negative right would be you know, you just have, you know, the right for other people to stay away from you. Other people to leave you alone and let you do what you want to do. But we've transitioned the discussion in this pandemic to, oh, you have a right for other people to be vac- vaccinated in mass because they could be a threat to you. Their mere existence could be a threat to you. This is the thing I said from the beginning, William. You know, I didn't break it down to this level. But if you remember at the beginning of this, that is what I said. I said they are trying to convince us that we are all a threat to one another. I have been consistent on this point. And because this is the point that nobody is discussing, discussing, nobody is naming this. That's why we've gotten to this point. 
Everybody, even when you look at someone like Zuby, who is consistent on this point about freedom, is still not making this point. This is what we need to talk about. This is how we need to deal with it. And look, you have to do it rhetorically. You have to do it rhetorically. Mm. You can't do the objectivist thing. And this is where I lose objectivists. And this is where I distance myself from objectivists. You can't do the objectivist thing and say, I'm not a threat to you. That rhetorically fails. You have to frame this, William, as I don't see you as a threat to me, so I don't think your freedom should be taken away. That's how we have to frame this, because ultimately, that's how you create a freedom-loving society. That's how you create a society based on negative rights. You don't say, I'm not a threat to you, because then people go, what are you, a narcissist? Why is it all about you? You go, I don't think you're a threat to me or anyone else, so please go about living your life. And you know what, William? That's my sense of life. That's why yeah. people may wonder, well, why do you why do you get this stuff, Justin? Why does this make so much sense to you? Because that's my sense of life. Do what you're going to do. I don't think you're going to hurt me. I don't think you're going to harm me. If you just ni- live your normal life and you take care of what you're going to take care of, there is a harmony of men's interests, so everything's going to be fine. That's how we need to frame this. You're not a threat to me. I don't want you to put on a mask unless you feel safe about it. I don't care if you put on a mask either way. That's up to you. I don't want you to take a vaccine unless you want to, because that's up to you. It's your body. Either thing you do, that doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect the people I love. Don't worry about me. I got me. The people I love, they got them. I've got them. You take care of you. That's how we need to start framing this conversation. We do not need to start framing this conversation of, leave me alone. Oh my God, I need to be protected from everyone else. Oh my God. And I'll leave it there. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to the next OSHA mandate, uh, mandating exercise for all employees, because we know that, uh, you know, once everyone gets vaccinated, the next biggest uh, predictor of death is obesity. So, but, but that's not, it's not about the predictor of death. Oh, and also the old, I can't wait for uh, me to be forced to uh, fire all old people because those are the, also the people that die. But again, does that fit or force them to de-age? I think it would be more sensical to force them to de-age. Does that fit the idea of them being threats to other people, though? What really is, and they've already pushed this through. They pushed this through before. Think about the obesity thing. Fat is beautiful. It is interpersonal (laughs) hostility to call fat people unhealthy. They've already pushed that through. They've already pushed that through. Do you see how they've already set the table for that, William? Yeah. It's the same thing. You, you, you have an obligation to give old people a job, even if they may not be able to perform the functions as well. That's a positive right old people have. Or it's the same thing. A positive right fat people have is to not be shamed for... It's to be admired for their... Their right. proudness by that's e- that's uh, even a better yeah, way of saying it, by, right? By wearing skippy clothes and uh, and uh, being proud of their fat rolls, right? And the way I would frame that is, no, I want you to have the right to say anything you want to say. If there's anything you want to say about me, go ahead, say it, because I don't believe that there's anything you can say about me that's going to affect me in a way that I need to say I have a positive right for you to say things a certain way and treat me a certain way. 
I mean, it's just insane to me, William. This other story probably hit close to home, which is an example of this, right? This is an example. The whole vaping thing. Did you see that story this week? I did. I mean, we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about the the growth of government and we're going to say we have a free market when, I mean, to me, this story is the ultimate, like, we don't have a free market story. They're literally saying we're going to ban all e-cigarettes except from one company. Yeah. Uh, they, well, here's the thing in typical government fashion, um, we're supposed to, to stay on the market. Vaping companies must show that their e-cigarettes benefit public health. In practice, that means proving that adult smokers who use the products are likely to quit or reduce their smoking, while teens are unlikely to get hooked on them. Is this not the whole positive rights thing I just said? Yeah. So imagine, imagine before you ju- before before selling a product, you must justify that it's going to benefit the quote unquote public health, which you can almost never do, right? Like the the public health is not a thing, right? Well, right. That's the other. I mean double blind that nobody talks about with this is they've raised up a, a standard that's impossible to meet so they can always just change it's it, it makes it super easy to move the goalposts right yeah because you could always just you know it's it's not measurable the public health yeah yeah but even on top of that right i mean on top of that the whole positive rights thing right there where oh you have to prove because other people have a right you know for your product to improve their health like i Look, I don't agree with it, but like I've said, I'm, I'm always, you know, drugs should be legal. That's what I think. Do I agree with using drugs? No. But if you want to take a product that kills you, that's up to you. Well, right? it's not even, then, that's not even the accusation here that vaping is somehow unsafe. Well, I know it's right. it's the complete opposite of it. Yeah, I'm taking it to the, the opposite extreme opposite. on purpose. It's, yeah, it's it's that it's 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 that it's too safe. And uh, we need to – I don't even understand the banning it uh, in, with even this flimsy justification. Well, kids might use it. Well, kids already use cigarettes, and it's already illegal for uh, kids to buy vaping products. What are we well, even doing? Dude, first of all, they banned candy cigarettes, remember? Oh, yeah. Remember yeah. those from when we were kids? Yeah. They just look like cigarettes, but they were candy. And they were like, you can't have that because it gets kids hooked on cigarettes. But, William, this goes back to the story. Rock was music last gets episode? kids hooked on cigarettes. Right. we got to ban it. Uh, we already banned it in a lot of films, right? Like, uh, you, I think you automatically get a PG-13 if you have people smoking in your films. Right, right. And for a while, it was only bad guys could smoke and things like that. It's, but uh, this goes back to the whole, what, the, remember the food story we did where they were counting down per, how many minutes each food took off of your life? If you don't oh, see yeah. what William just said connecting with this, with that, you, you're missing what they're going to do. They're going to start saying what foods are legitimate to sell and what foods aren't, and this is a way of backwards engineering. Oh, man, imagine inventing a new food of some kind, like a new dish or some some new vegetable or something, and then somehow the logic getting twisted into, well, you must prove that this has a benefit for public health, and it won't get kids addicted to cigarettes. Right. Or, I mean, (laughs) look, sugar is not the greatest thing in the world, right? Now, I'm, I love sugar. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I need some sort of vice, right? No alcohol, no drugs, right? I need some sort of vice. But you could argue, and there are certain people who do take the extreme position of it's evil because it kills you and it hurts you, but that's exactly what I'm saying. 
factor it in with this story. Somebody invades, invents a new dessert. Well, government doesn't let them sell it because it doesn't the serve the in, public health. And they might get kids uh, hooked on smoking cigarettes. <laughs> might get kids hooked on, yeah, smoking cigarettes. Let's say it was somebody invented candy cigarettes. That's a perfect example, actually. Th- this could be used for that because of this whole concept of the interpersonal hostility. It's it's this is absolutely insane. And what makes this extra insane to me, William, is is they're using this justification, but then they're like, oh, but it doesn't apply to vaping giant jewel. Isn't that extra insidious that they're just like, oh, we don't know how we're going to deal with this big company who probably already has a bunch of people um, leveraging is not the term lobbying is the word I'm looking for, who are probably already have a bunch of people lobbying. I mean, doesn't this one story just show how corrupt it all is? Isn't Jewel owned? I guess it's own it's a its own company, but like it's it's the only thing that's not. There's a bunch of uh, e-cigarette stuff that the uh, tobacco industry has been trying to do. So it makes you wonder, like, uh, you know, makes you wonder about that. Is this was this all a play just to knock out a competitor? Because it's actually because it if it make it, it makes sense less people are smoking cigarettes because of e-cigarettes like all of us intuitively know this is true because we've like if you if you walk by the the whole smokers corner at work or when you're uh, out at dinner or a bar and you go outside it's so much rarer now to see someone smoking an actual cigarette versus someone who's vaping like we all know now, this intuitively but right but. To, to say that we have to prove it now, well, do, do they actually smoke less cigarettes? How much of this is the government protecting their taxes? Well, right, exactly. So that's why they can't get rid of Juul. And to back up your point here, now again, this is Wikipedia, but it does say Altria Group, formerly Philip Morris Companies, acquired a 35% stake in Juul Labs for $12.8 billion on December solved. 20th, 2018. Yeah. Problem solved. And it's like you said, it goes back to the taxes. And your point about the taxes, William, is exactly the point. And I probably should make this connection explicit. People in government are in government because they don't think they can do anything else. That they think they can only survive based on other people. So they have this whole role of increasing their mediation to give them their own means of survival. And that's why... They do something like this because it's not really about the public health. It's about what? Keeping that money flowing to them because this is how they get paid and how they get rich. Am I wrong, William? No, I think that sounds right to me. All right. And part of the problem here, to pivot to another story, is the stories we tell ourselves. Us, the everyday people, what do we tell ourselves? Well, somebody sent me something this week that I was like, holy shit, this is insane. And then it got, the story got even insaner, okay? So this new CBS competition series called The Activist, this, this headline from Deadline, Usher, Priyanka Chopra, and Julianne Ho, how? How do you say her name? H-O-U-G-H. How? I don't know. How do you set, say her name? Yeah, how do you say her name? Set for The Activist, which is a CBS competition from a production company called Global Citizen. Okay, this is essentially a reality show. It's a five-week reality series. I'm not even going to tell you where it premieres or when it premieres. And it says, 
It features six inspiring activists teamed with three high-profile public figures working together to bring meaningful change to one of three vitally important world causes, health, education, and environment. Well, those are the big three that they use to teach us about interpersonal hostility, right? So they've created a reality show based on this. This, to me, William, sounds like The Apprentice meets social justice is what that sounds like to me. What does it sound like to you? Literal performance activism. That's what it sounds like to me. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And people were saying that online, weren't they? I think somebody showed me a tweet where it was like they made the oppression Olympics a real show. I I thought it was going to be put into the actual Olympics, but maybe this is the trial of, of, of having the oppression Olympics. This is, this is amazing. It's, it's amazing because it's so farcical. When you talk about witnessing the farce, this is it. The fact that somebody would sit down and watch. Like, I can't imagine sitting down and watching a show with artists teaming with activists. Oh, with three public figures. Okay. So six inspiring activists. First of all, the fact that they call it inspiring, but that's how they market shows, whatever. To watch six activists preach to me about health education in the environment and be told that it's entertainment that that blows my mind that people would they think people would watch this that people would willingly watch this but it gets even better it gets even better because after everyone was making fun of it which that kind of gives us some hope in the world doesn't it William that people were making fun of this well maybe i mean half the people were making fun of it the other half were saying no these are serious issues and how dare you uh you know put it up on uh for entertainment and blah 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 so they were they were taking it they were they were basically saying uh you can't uh, use my religion to make money and be entertaining because no religion in the history of the world has ever been used to make money well yeah okay. but you understand what i'm saying they're saying it's holy yeah how you know the, uh, right. activism is holy basically is what they were saying so that kind of gives these new comments uh a a sort of another light to look at it in. So there were this, this statement, there was a statement that from the production company, global citizen, that was a response to all the blowback on social media, according to deadline. And now if we think they're responding to both sides of it, it, it um, kind of puts it in a new light. The activist spotlights individuals who have made it their life's work to change the world for the better, as well as the incredible and often challenging they work they do on the ground in their communities. This is not a reality show to trivialize activism. On the contrary, our aim is to support activists everywhere, show the ingenuity and dedication they put in their work, and amplify their causes to an even wider audience. And you want to know that I think they're, I think they're talking the truth there, William. I think that's what they're actually trying to do. I don't think they're trying to trivialize anything. I think they see this as an opportunity to shift the narrative because people in Hollywood and people who do this kind of thing aren't interested in being entertaining. They're interested in pushing the worldview they think is correct. And a lot of them also believe in this whole idea of interpersonal hostility. Yeah. Can you imagine being a writer on this reality show? Coming up with the challenges, uh, blowing up the conflicts, uh, you know, manufacturing the conflicts when they aren't there. Well, yeah, then we get into the talk when William, when you say that of the whole natural arc of reality shows. So yeah. 
in the beginning, and you know, we saw this with with um, the the greatest example is Survivor, right? In the beginning, every reality show for sort of like its first season sticks to its premise pretty, pretty heavily because it's new and that's what you're offering at that point. And so maybe the first season is going to be based around activism. But what eventually happens is the show reality TV as a as a as a show, as a concept is very formulaic. So when you take something like Survivor, eventually the the format is so formulaic and people are used to it. And most people don't really care. This goes into the whole spectacle versus catharsis thing. Most people don't care about the catharsis. When you take a show like Survivor, it offers great catharsis, right? The idea of we're going to see how you mediate between and how you have mutually beneficial contracts between individuals when only one person can have the ultimate win at the end. How does that work? And how does that affect relationships and how does that affect psychologies no matter how many times you go through the typical format that is that is enthralling to me but most people are only interested in the spectacle they're interested in the people getting voted out and their negative reactions to that the blow-ups the the -the over-the-top emotions and it'll be the same thing here what's absurd about this show is the catharsis that's offered in the activist isn't even real catharsis it's it's the idea of oh look you're a terrible person and we're going to make a show telling you how we're going to stop you from being a terrible person. That's the catharsis. But that will carry the show in the beginning. And then as it goes forward, it'll become, as you're saying, William, less about that and more about the spectacle, which will actually, theoretically, William, this should create some of the greatest. And when I say greatest, I mean, you know, greatest shit show reality television ever, right? Because if you put a bunch of people together that believe all human beings are terrible, and then as reality TV goes, you make it about people arguing with each other, and then you make it about casting more and more people who are insane and have psychological issues. If you do that with this, wouldn't this theoretically be the format that optimizes that? I mean, we've gone in the one direction with it, with the, uh, oh, let's just put a bunch of drunk people together. That's one direction you can go. But the other direction you can go is this, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just stuck on this whole manufacturing conflict. And, and, And because of the genre, it seems like the wrong genre. Imagine a... Remember when Vice used to do like real, like long form news things back in the day? You know, when Vice was really good. And imagine someone doing that for activists, even if they're left activists, right? Whatever. Like actually doing that kind of long form news for different activists and having that being a serialized um, like segment, right? I think that would be super interesting, even if it was someone on the left side of politics, right? Imagine following a, uh, uh, say, a homeless activist, right? And, and seeing all the things that they deal with uh, or... Uh, you know, even some environmental activists, right? Like that, 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 this would be easy. The genre, not easy. This would be interesting. Uh, the genre is wrong for this sort of thing. Well, like, that's, and then, so that's one way I'm imagining. And then at the same time, I'm flipping in my head and saying, uh, this is, this is about, this is a religion, right? Like wokeism is a religion. Um, have we seen religious reality shows? Right? Is there some like Catholic or Southern Baptist uh, uh, reality show like 
following preachers around preaching and, and spreading the word of God. Some, some, uh, you know, uh, Presbyterian or, uh, you know, is there any of this? Because it, it would seem weird in the religious genre. And since, uh, again, since woke is a religion, I'm trying to flip it the other way and try to see it that way. And I don't see it happening that way either. I mean, it looks like Oxygen tried to do, I just Googled really quickly, reality show about preachers and Preachers of L.A. was on Oxygen in 2013. So people have tried and I could see that being on like a a Discovery or a Lifetime or something. So that yeah. could certainly be tried. But what you're talking about is you're just looking at the catharsis from different angles, right? And you're certainly correct, especially with the first point. And that's why, you know, when you talk about Survivor, it's creator one of its creators mark burnett one of the greatest reality television producers ever said that survivor is not reality tv it's non-fiction tv and what he means by that is they're not actually looking at reality it's not a documentary it's taking reality and taking things that actually happened and editing them in a way to make them more entertaining so yeah. the format in itself also all, already moves more towards the spectacle but that goes that goes to an issue with our entertainment, right? Much of it is more spectacle-based than it is catharsis-based. That's also why most documentaries are shit, right? Even documentaries are edited in a way to be spectacle yeah. and not catharsis. Yeah. All right, I think that's a great point that we can leave this at so we can talk about some art. Let's do it in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. Put me into If you'd like to continue this conversation during the week, you can do so in our Discord channel. Man, William, our Discord was popping off this week, wasn't it? We have had tons of great conversations this week. Uh, there's been uh, uh, lively discussions about Trailer Takedown. Um, we've talked about Matrix 4 and uh, Picard. Someone else other than me posted a Doomcock video, which was, a, which was amazing. Uh, okay, I, I look... I have to say something really quickly. Yeah. Uh, so the Picard season two trailer isn't on the show this this week because <laughs> I don't like to do season two trailers of shows. Uh, and you don't want to get me continuously throwing up. I didn't think it looked that bad, but maybe I just like time travel. I mean, look, I will say this. It didn't look like Star Trek, right? But it was like, oh, they're going to go to the past to undo the, the future. Like, that's just a conventional sci-fi thing. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, you join you know our he's Discord. a robot, right? It's not really Picard. Oh, is Picard a robot? I was wondering he about died. that because I already died he at the died. end of yeah. season one. Yeah. Well, and that's why I sort of was more forgiving for it because I was I, I saw season one. I didn't watch it, but I saw what happened in it, and I was like, okay, it looks like they tried to sort of course correct and not go as insane as they did with season one. Mm-hmm. And we had tons of memes. Although it does look they're doing totalitarianism. So I don't know how they're going to handle that. Sort of Picard is a Trump-like figure, it looks like. Because nobody will let go of Trump, apparently. Anyway, if you want to continue that kind of conversation, join us in the Discord. You can dump all over the show Picard uh, in the Discord. You go to any episode link or go to midside.com and 
click on any episode link and in within that link there will be a, a link you can click on to join the discord so go ahead and join that and get in on the conversation before we talk about some trailers william i want to do a really really quick review so there hasn't been a lot that came out in theaters this week you know i saw shake chi a couple weeks ago i'm looking forward to i'll probably see cop shop next and then I'm looking forward to Dear Evan Hansen. That looks like it's going to be really, really good. That, Of course, the music is written by the guys who wrote the music for La La Land and The Greatest Showman. So I'm really looking forward to that movie. But for now, I just watched a Netflix movie. If anyone remembers, we talked about the trailer Good on Paper. This is Eliza Schlesinger's uh, movie starring Ryan Hansen, where she meets Ryan Hansen on a plane. And he sort of... The best way to describe this is... William, are you familiar with the term beta orbiter? Yes. So that's, uh, isn't that someone who <clears throat> is looking to slide in to a relationship uh, with a particular girl and will copy the behavior uh, of, the, of the cuttlefish and just orbiting this uh, poor woman and waiting for the moment to, a moment of vulnerability, a moment of opportunity to slip in? Right, exactly. Because the the guy lacks self-confidence in who he actually is, and he doesn't optimize who he is in order to present himself as, as a high-value person. He he just sort of waits and, and hangs around, right? That's why it's called an orbiter. He hangs out in her orbit. Well, that's essentially what this movie is about. She meets a guy on a plane, and eventually they get in a relationship, but then they find out, then she finds out throughout the relationship, throughout the movie, that He's one of these beta orbiters. I think they even use they use the term cuttlefish. They they say cuttlefishing instead of catfishing, right? He cuttlefished you. So on one hand, there's a sort of element of catharsis here that it's good that the whole movie ends with this sort of discussion about this. You know, it sort of takes and I, I, I say this very lightly so nobody get mad at me, but it ends with a court case where she's making her case in court. So it sort of takes the Randian approach there where it does the discussion through the legal proceedings, right? I'm talking about, you know, Hank Reardon and Atlas Shrugged and, of course, Howard Rourke and the Fountainhead. And then, of course, she had that famous play that she wrote where it was all based around a court case. So it sort of has that ending there. And it's an important discussion. My, My problem with this movie, though, is actually the spectacle side of it. Well, I would say the catharsis side as well. So let me continue with that. On the catharsis side, it doesn't go deep enough into it. Like our discussion of what a beta orbiter is was a deeper discussion than the movie has. Now, this is from the woman's perspective. But when you're doing a movie like this, it's important to properly portray what the guy's issue is to show how that affects the woman and her reaction to it so she can properly deal with it. Because you can't properly deal with a threat without identifying what it is. So as far as the catharsis mentioned, is it catharsis in the sense that she got this was based on a, a mostly true story, it says. So did Eliza Schlesinger get to make a movie? Yes. Did she get catharsis out of this? Yes. Does that perhaps provide catharsis for other people because... Other women who have had similar experiences can watch this and say, hey, a movie's been made about this. Yes. But could the catharsis be even better if it had been better written? Yes. And that's that's my critique of the catharsis. Now, as far as the spectacle, that goes with the writing as well. It 
was more paint by the numbers. It was more, okay, these are the things we have to get through. And then on top of that, the directing wasn't that visually interesting. So even though, you know, I really like Ryan Hansen, he's a good actor. Eliza Schlesinger, she can be pretty funny. And she had, there was some funny stuff in this movie. It's just overall as a movie, this wasn't as good as it could be. So I would just, look, this isn't a movie that I'm going to hate, right? I'm not going to be like, oh, that's a terrible movie. But it's also not a movie I would ever like recommend to somebody. If somebody saw it, I would be like, okay, you saw it, whatever. But I'm not going to ever say this is a good movie. This is just, this is the perfect example. If you want to think of like what a no bro movie looks like, it's this. There's no animosity towards this movie. I think it has good intentions. I think it has good parts. And, and I see what they were going for. But this is a movie, it's more about the execution. So when people talk about you, you have to be able to talk about art objectively. To You have to prove you can. it's possible to talk about art objectively in order to make people want to talk about it objectively. I think this movie is a good example of that. I think that this movie is one that if somebody had pitched it to me, I would have been like, yeah, that's an exciting product project. I want to see what you do with it. But then when I look at the ultimate project uh, product here, I'm mixing up the words project and product because they sound so similar. So again, if somebody came to me with this project, I would be like, yeah, I'm excited with what you do with it. But the ultimate product here, I'm just kind of like, it isn't as good as you could have done with it. And now maybe that has to do with Netflix netflix's production style which is going to benefit sometimes and and be a a, you know a negative other times you know they're very free with their creators and they let them do with what they want to do right we see this with Zack snyder in the army of the dead universe and the upcoming rebel moon universe and that's a good thing there but maybe other people need more help so maybe this is something about netflix being a a newer studio so no animosity towards this movie, no animosity towards anyone involved, right? I still think, you know, Eliza Schlesinger is, you know, she's, she's got some things that are worth admiring. I just would not recommend good on paper. It's a no bro. All right. Now let's talk about some trailers that are some movies, some projects that are going to be upcoming. As always, uh, I post the trailers on Saturday at the latest, so you can check those out in our Discord. Gives you a chance to either, you know, watch them before the episode, watch them after the episode, or during. Watch a trailer, pause it, we talk about it. Watch a trailer, pause it, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Come on, come on is the latest A24 movie. It stars Joaquin Phoenix, and it's in all black and white. The trailer is him reading a bedtime story to someone he's related to a a little kid. It's not clear if it's, you know, his son, his, his nephew, or there's some other relationship there. And the whole trailer just seems to be like, Oh, Hey, we're going to do a minute and a half about some abstract poignant statement about life. And this sort of trailer sums up a 24 to me sums up a 24 is there's a pretentiousness here. Look, is Joaquin Phoenix, Good in the trailer, yeah, but I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is pretty much good in anything he's 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 in, right? I mean, one thing to take away from Joker is his performance. If you're going to watch Joker, which I would not recommend you watch it, but if you're going to, his performance is great in it. He's good in pretty much anything. But why is this trailer in black and white? And what is this movie actually going to be about? I I don't know. I just nothing about this makes me want to see it. And with A24's track record of being like, oh. They, they act like the, the problem with 
the problem with production studios like this is they act like they give this great catharsis, but really ultimately all they end up saying is that life is shit and existence is terrible. And, and I can't get behind that. It's, 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 it's not enjoyable to me. So because this trailer offers nothing new and because of the production studio tackle tackle. I watched this trailer and I, I thought maybe the, you know, like a commercial, like this was the commercial before the trailer, you know, which sometimes happens on YouTube. Uh, and it took me a while to figure that out, that it wasn't that, uh, cause I, I'm, I was waiting for it to just say like Subaru at the end. Um, but, uh, yeah, this looks incredibly boring. Um, out of pure curiosity, I had to look up what is this movie even about? And here's the summary. A radio journalist embarks on a cross-country trip with his young nephew. That's it. This looks incredibly That's boring. not a fucking story, William. <laughs> no conflict, right? Nothing. So I went from That's nationalism apathy, to the highest order. I went from apathy to this. Tackle. Jesus fucking Christ, William. That's the premise. That's the log line. A radio journalist. Why does he why does he have to be a radio journalist? I don't know. Why, why can't it just be Maybe a that's the conflict. Across? Maybe that's the <laughs> conflict. Radio's dying? I don't know. Even that would be more interesting. <laughs> I mean is he, he just talks too much and the kids annoyed at him? Is that why he's a radio journalist? I don't you don't know. have to narrate everything, Uncle Joaquin. <laughs> and it's a, it says nephew, right? Yeah, it said nephew. Why is it his nephew? I don't know. We have no conflict. Come on, come on, man. <laughs> oh, man. Second trailer. Tunnel Twins was sent to us by Daniel T. Richards. This is an animated show about two kids who go on adventures with their grandma and sort of learn about the world. Look, I have two different reactions to this trailer, okay? Uh, my first reaction is, if you go through the first, like, one minute or so, this is a pretty good trailer. It's sort of like Magic School Bus-esque meets DuckTales a little bit, right? And I'm saying DuckTales for a reason because I'm seeding something for later. The animation's pretty good. This is pretty funny. I mean, there's one part where it sort of becomes, like, Animaniacs or Hysteria, where it's Adam Smith is there with the kids, and one of the kids is talking about the invisible hand, and there's a funny joke about where Adam Smith got the idea from the invisible hand from. And, you know, it works in that way. This this could be an entertaining show. And from that in itself, I was like, oh, I like this trailer. But then it did at the end of the trailer what I always fucking hate. And I hated about the liberty movement I hate it about the objectivist movement. People, just make good art. Just make entertaining things. You don't need to set out and say, this is going to be about the free market. This is going to be about promoting freedom. That's what they do at the end of this trailer. They're like, oh, hey, this really good trailer you just watched. Oh, this is actually a propaganda piece for freedom and the free market and teaching kids about liberty. Now, they don't say that explicitly, but that's what it comes off as. It comes off as, oh, you know, we think they all did, the, the left has been doing propaganda, so we're going to do propaganda. And whether you like to admit it or not, that's the logic that led to people voting for Trump. Oh, we're going to have our authoritarian with their authoritarian. The greatest show in the history of America that promoted free market values is DuckTales. 
Why? Because it just was what it was. It was an old rich guy who cared about family and cared about money and cared about adventuring. And they went on adventures to get treasure with their family. And because of that, the situations and the premises naturally led to it and the values naturally led to it. Even in the reboot, where in the second to the last episode, they tried to turn Scrooge into an altruist. They couldn't. It didn't make sense. The argument of, oh, well, he had to be who he was to give the, the bad guys meaning in their lives. You know, that's an attempt to do what they did in Wreck-It Ralph, where at the end it was, Ralph, it's okay to be a bad guy because everyone has a part to play. It's an attempt to do that, but it came off absurd because the show was what it was. It was just trying to be the show about what it was trying to be about. You don't have to tell people that. I don't like this marketing technique. I think the marketing technique is bad for the liberty movement in general, and I think it, it hurts shows like this, which this looks like it could be a good show. So I, I, don't, I don't even really know what to give this, to be honest with you, William. Is there a way to hit a hug and tackle at the same time? Is that possible, William? Hug. Tackle. Hug. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't have the hugs and tackles set so that I could do them simultaneously. <laughs> we've never had to do that before. Uh, yeah. Um, on this, I I think if you watch... I, I completely agree with you. If, if, they, if that tag had not been at the end, if that last little bit had not been at the end... I would have no reason hugging this, but because of that, um, uh, I, it, it should be obvious to all of our listeners, right? All of you in the know know. We're not going to like it if it's propaganda, even if we agree with the propaganda, right? That, that's not going to be – it's going to lead to a bad show. Uh, folks don't want to watch things where they're going to get preached at. Um, it, it feels too much like you know Doctor Who, the current seasons of Doctor Who. Right. Yeah. So, uh, William, to reinforce what you said, you just made me think of something. If that's your mindset, then you're not going to be focused on making a good show. Whereas, if you honestly believe something and you try to make a good show, your beliefs will come out. It's impossible yeah. to be an artist and not present your own beliefs in whatever you're making. So, do you really believe your beliefs if you have to approach it this way? Yeah, I'm going to make I'm going to make propaganda for kids is not the right premise for making a show. Boo! Uh, that that being said, uh, you know I I I like uh, I liked Ducktales, maybe not as much as you, Justin, but I love it. Uh, and so this gives me those vibes, and I want to I want to give it a chance. I I, I liked uh, Magic School Books, I like uh, Ducktales, so I'll give the first episode a chance. I'm gonna Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Third trailer. Implanted is a movie about a woman who is sick it looks like and she gets a, a a chip implanted in her to monitor everything that's going on with her biologically uh it, this seems kind of timely as far as what's going on so i like it in that in that perspective uh spectacle wise quality wise this looks very low budget so i wasn't a big fan of it that way but the ultimate thing that takes away from this and I know it's tough to say, you know, oh, you know, Simpsons did it in the year 2021 because everyone's done everything. But if anyone remembers the movie uh, Upgrade or Upgrade, I don't remember exactly uh, which one it is, but I did review it on the show where a guy gets in an accident and then 
AI is put into his body to help him live and survive. And then the AI takes over and is evil and starts doing evil things. This movie has literally already been done like this exact movie. So I just, even though this is timely and I get what they're going for, I, I can't cause just go watch the movie that already exists. Just go watch upgrade tackle tackle. Yeah. You know, I like sci-fi guns but uh yeah this looked uh it, it it's uh a little fucked out this premise and uh i you, there's ways of doing this that would be pretty interesting and the preview at least this this trailer does not show any of those interesting perspectives and uh i don't know i don't know i don't know if this is just a a money grab for the whole conspiracy theorists like is this going to be is this intended to be that and then is if so is this going to be all in this person's head at the end i don't know i i, I don't know why i was getting that vibe but i just was getting that vibe and this yeah i, I don't think this is going to be good so no tackle final trailer the matrix resurrections is the long forthcoming fourth installment in the Matrix series. Keanu Reeves is back. And to me, this whole trailer read as some sort of metaphor for the afterlife. Because, of course, spoilers for the Matrix revolutions. There's lockers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. So if you haven't seen a movie from like 20 years ago, but yep, obviously yep, Neo right. dies in the, in the third matrix. What? And so this all, <laughs> this all read like a metaphor for, for the afterlife for me. That's what this whole thing read as, especially when there was a, a scene in here, which was literally a scene from lost season six where yeah. Neo and Trinity shake hands and they're like, wait, do we know each other? That's literally like what the entire plot of lost season six was. Where in the flash sideways, they would all meet their lovers and touch each other at a certain point and realize they all lived together and they all remembered their lives together. So there was that. And then the other thing was the Alice in Wonderland stuff was way over the top in this. And I don't know if that was just the trailer editors who were like, oh, let's pick out everything with the uh, Alice in Wonderland in it. And the song. And the song from Sucker Punch. Like, it's literally yeah. from Sucker Punch. So I'm watching this, and I all I could think about was Lost and Sucker Punch while watching a trailer about The Matrix. And I know, I know so many people are going to be like, oh, wow, like, this was an awesome trailer. I don't think so. I'm sorry. This looked, it, it, it looked like as artists, the Wachowskis have not progressed. It looks like what you would be afraid of happening if somebody went back to an old property. If somebody went back to an old property and tried to add to it, this is what I would be afraid would happen. That nothing really new is being brought to it. Now, I understand that puts them in a difficult position because it's clear that something like Lost was inspired by The Matrix partially, right? The whole idea of flash sideways and the way that's interacting with the real world. And then... Sucker Punch is clearly established by the Matrix. I mean, Snyder has said that, and you're dealing with alternate realities and what's imagined and what's real. The Matrix has influenced so many things since it. But that's the difficulty of going back to an old property like that and trying to resurrect it. I Look, 
Am I going to see this movie? Yes. I'm going to see this movie. Because I'm interested. I've seen the other three. I'm no fan of the of the third one. I never talked about that on the show. And maybe that's something we can do going forward. But I, I, I am not excited based on this trailer. I am not excited based on this trailer. Does it look technically proficient? Yes. Can't take anything away from this technically. But there is nothing in this that makes me think it matches the experience of the first two movies or even the first three. So this is like the most tentative hug ever. Hug. Yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty good sound drop right there. Uh, man. Um, so first watching this, I was like, okay, this seems to be interesting. Um, I, I, I wonder, it raises some questions like what's going on. Like why, why is Neo still alive? Uh, who's the, um, um, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, uh, you know, therapist, like who is that? Is that a person or is that an AI? So there's a lot of, a lot of things to explore here, like in the internal to the, uh, actual trailer. Like a lot of questions are raised that want to draw you in to help you watch it. So that I think is okay. Um, the, but when we think about the overall story of the matrix and we're, we're clearly telling a Jesus story, right? You know? And so now we're at the, the resurrection. Um, right. And that was one of the reasons I hate the fucking matrix revolutions. Cause you yeah. watch this whole trilogy, which is all about philosophy and deals with all these ideas. And then and it's like, Oh, you. here's the, here's the didactic Jesus Smith. Oh great! Let's retell that fucking story another time. Yeah. So if we're telling, if we're if we're telling the didactic Jesus myth, like much like you, Justin, I'm afraid of where we're gonna go. Are we in Revelations now? Right. I guess we already sort of had that, right? Uh, but if we're resurrecting, like, what is the what is the story we're gonna tell? Um, you know, Matrix is often read as a trans allegory. So are we are we gonna hard go into well, that? Hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there. I'm going to stop you there. Are we really going to allow this revising of history? Hey, we uh, the people are doing it. I'm not saying that it's I'm not saying I'm allowing it or encouraging it. I'm just saying people read it that way. So when, this, when? I, I'm just Since trying the to past say 2 years? I, dude, I it's crazy. Uh, um, look, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad <laughs> at you. I'm just mad that this 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 has become what everyone's saying now. Yeah. Do you get what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. So we're well, gonna rewrite I mean, history. There's I, look, I, there's no evidence. <laughs> Dude, there's no evidence. Look, when you talk to me about um immigration in Batman versus Superman and Man of Steel, I'm like, okay, I can see where you're getting that from, right? I can see it. Now I don't think it's the primary, but when you say there's a trans allegory in the first three Matrix movies, point to one piece of evidence, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, they wanted Switch to be a boy in the Matrix and a girl outside the Matrix, or maybe the other way around. But uh, they didn't. That didn't happen. Maybe that's the only piece of concrete evidence that you could. So they wussed out. So they wussed out. Um, I mean that that actually would have been that would have been interesting, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That that would be consistent with the Matrix universe. Absolutely. Yeah, that would have been cool. I mean, is that's what they're gonna do? I mean. Let me let me ask you this way. 
Do you think they would actually make Neo inside Trinity and Trinity inside Neo in this movie? Uh, that would be more interesting than what the Doomcock rumor was in that Doomcock video. There's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. Uh, that uh, that uh, Trinity's actually the one, not not uh, not Neo. Wow, Despite Neo spelling one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's Doomcock and uh, his rumor prediction. All so, right, sorry, continue. I well, what can I continue? I'm, you know, I'm going to watch this. It's got guns. It's sci-fi. Uh, it could be going in a new direction. It's a risky pull, but you know what? Uh, I, when is this coming out? Is it is it coming out this Christmas? Uh, yeah, let's let's go see it. Hug. I think I read that it and No Way Home are coming out. Spider-Man No Way Home are coming out like within a week of each other, or in the same week or something. Oh, so, geez. Well, that it's no brainer. I'm not going to go watch No Way Home. So, I mean, at this point, I'll probably see both, and it's like, which am I going to be more disappointed in? <laughs> All right, what did we learn this trip, William? Oh man, I learned that the the mid side will not be requiring uh, vaccines and weekly testing. Uh, Justin, what did you learn this week? I learned that apparently the original Matrix trilogy was made less interesting by making it less trans. Wow. Who would have thought I'd have that position? Who would have thought you would have that position? Yeah. But if that's true, like, why? Like, if, I, if I'm sitting down with him and I'm writing a story and I'm like, oh, well, here's the Matrix. And when you plug into it, the world's one way. And when you're out of it, the world's a different way. Isn't it logical you go, well, why don't we have one character who's gender swapped? Why don't we have one character who's race swapped? Like, wouldn't that be a natural thing that any writer who's worth half a damn would think about putting into the movie? Yeah. Well, and it's and the the, the, the interesting thing is that it has to do with the theme, like how you see yourself in The Matrix, right? Right. Like the Matrix projects how you see yourself. Right. So it's... it's... All right. Anyway, moving on. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Uh, as always, I say this would just be me yelling into a, a closet if it wasn't for you listening. And that's especially true this week with the long uh, sort of, I don't want to say tangent because it's very important I went on, but appreciate that. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can do so by going to midside.com slash store, the midside.com slash cut, buy a shirt, buy a book. You can always support us on Patreon or locals. That's the midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. And this all helps us keep the lights on, keep the show going, pay for all the fees it takes to post this show. I appreciate all the support we've gotten over over the gotten over the years because it hasn't cost me a dime to make this show, which is awesome. That's really, really great. And the way you can keep the show going even more is to tell a friend. If you tell a friend, tell a friend about what I talked about this week. It's really, really important we start talking about that they're they're trying to make us threats to one another. That's what no one's talking about, and we need to start having that conversation. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck in this loop forever. And abstractly, I say that, maybe there's a time loop story somewhere in what I just said. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlesneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. You are not a threat to me. You know, Justin, we didn't even mention I went to the new Fangoria concert.
on Wednesday. It was amazing. Of course, we had to present our uh, vaccine uh, proof before we got in, but no masks inside. Uh, it was up to you. They followed your rules uh, at the venue. Um, it was at House of Blues in Anaheim you're very familiar with. Uh, Lesson Jake opened, and it was it was great, man. A uh, little lighter. I think they let less people in than they normally let in, probably due to COVID. Uh, but it was a nice crowd. There was enough room to move around and jump around and lots of singing. And, uh, of course, my voice was shot the next day. Fewer people. They let in fewer people. But, yeah, I'm going to House of Blues in Orlando at Disney Springs to do that same show in October. All right. Well, we'll see who spent more on merch because I think uh, I think I spent uh, almost $200 on merch. <laughs> 